Brilliant. Oh, it's so good to be here, guys. Tori and I, um, real just sense of privilege to come and hang out. And uh, Inverness is not a strange place to me. Um, I, uh, I actually grew up, well, I spent some of my final teenage years not far from here, uh, just the other side of the Cromarty Firth. And actually, here in Inverness is where God really got a hold of my life. My life was radically impacted uh, in uh, a friend's upper room, you know, a, a youth meeting, and uh, really my life was transformed in Inverness. So I'm returning to a place of beginning, even for me, and that was just a few years ago when I was 17. <laughs> come on now, come on. Okay, let me just uh, sort this little timer thingy out. Okay, so... Um, I want to tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, my grandfather uh, was quite an extraordinary man. He was in the Paras uh, in the Second World War. And uh, uh, immensely fit guy. He could run a mile in just over four minutes. So if you think about Roger Bannister beat, breaking the four-minute mile and when that was. Well, so he was a supersonically fit guy. He fell in love with my grandma and would cycle from just outside Yorkshire to Oxford on a, on a, on a fixie bike. Uh, over a hundred miles, he'd go and spend time with her and then cycle back, sometimes the same day. What a machine, eh? What happened to me? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, my grandfather... Um, they, 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 they were going to fly into the Ardennes, uh, if you know your uh, history, um, Battle of the Bulge, all of that was happening. And granddad was uh, on an airfield, packing up, getting all his kit ready, and they were all lined up to get onto an aircraft. And the way that they would do that, they would be fully packed, and they would lift one another up, you know, and then... Uh, you know, help each other get onto the aircraft. And as one of the guys went to do that, he, he, uh, his rifle got in the way and his rifle went off. And a bullet um, went through the guy in front of him, passed through his leg, went through the next guy into his uh, calf muscle and then uh, shot my grandfather in the foot. And those three men were obviously then taken off the line. And uh, all of those men flew into the Ardennes and were part of a big um, offensive. And actually, a whole load of them didn't come home. It's a really weird thing. And as I reflect back on this, that bullet probably, possibly saved my life. In other words, I might not be here today celebrating a second birthday with you guys if that accident hadn't happened. It's a really odd thing to think like this, isn't it? You see, we're here today celebrating a birthday, but it wasn't, and this, and this birthday isn't an accident. It didn't happen by accident. This birthday was planned long, long time ago in the very heart of God who loves you and me. In fact, it was deposited into the hearts of two very good friends of ours, these two people sitting here. You see, God spoke to them. God deposited a vision for something new up here. So actually, guys, you're in this room today because there was a decision made elsewhere. For those of you that want to understand the birds and the bees, you have a baby 
Yeah, you end up with a baby because something is done in a hidden place. <laughs> Generally. <laughs> and more often than not, it's not an accident, it's planned. <laughs> this birthday, this baby that we're celebrating as we look at one another, was a planned event. And it was planned in the heart of God. And it was deposited into the hearts of these two not even here in Inverness at the time, but actually, not really, they were in Aberdeen, but it wasn't even when they were probably um, uh, leading one of our churches in, in, in Aberdeen. It actually was deposited into their hearts, probably when they became Christians and began to follow Jesus. There's a stirring of, one day we will return to Inverness. I have had so many conversations with these guys over the years that one day we will go back. Why? Because some God had put something in their hearts. Listen, today I want to talk a little bit about when a leader, when one of us is obedient to the call of God on, your, on our lives, it not only affects us, it actually creates space and opportunity for other people to experience what we have experienced. Obedience cracks open an opportunity for others. Just look at one another for a minute. And maybe you're visiting this morning, but maybe you've been here for a number of months or an even a number of years. Just have a good look at one another and say, hey, you are not an accident. You're not. You are not an accident. Because some of us believe we're accidents, actually. Some of us really do believe we are accidentally here or we are just accidents in life. You are not an accident. God has placed you here. And he has drawn you in. And he's drawn you into their obedience. I know it's not just in their hearts, but actually there's a whole bunch of people in this room that resonates with them. They're like, I'm here because I've been wanting this. I've been dreaming of a church that functions like this, that is family, that believes and is passionate about Jesus, believes in the gifts of the Spirit, believes in empowering one another. That's the community that I want to be a part of, and it's been deposited in your hearts as well. So this is where we're going this morning a little bit. Hebrews says this, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. These guys got a glimpse of the unseen. That's how, this is how God works. He gives you a glimpse of that which has not yet happened, but it's there. And faith is moving obediently towards that. And as we do that, we take what is unseen and bring it into reality. It becomes material. The dream, the idea, the vision, the people. As we pursue Jesus and that calling, they become a reality. You could turn around to one another again and say, actually, you are the result of sometimes other people's obedience. God moves. You see that? And so, I think it's lovely that we're, uh, Thomas has asked me to come uh, to take us to the mountain today. Uh, you guys have been doing this series in the, the book of Exodus. And you've been on this journey, this adventure, this great rescue adventure mission, which is absolutely brilliant. One of my all-time favorite films is The Prince of Egypt. Oh, don't we love it? I love it! 
It captures the essence of this book, Exodus, in a really powerful way. Better than that other film. What was the other one that... Um, not, not, not as cruel, what was his, it was rubbish. Where they made God like this child. Oh, it was so disappointing. Prince of Egypt is the one you want. Anyway, and so in, we're here. We're going to be here on Exodus 19. So if you've got a Bible, turn there. I'm not going to be reading all of this. We're going to just look at three particular areas of it. But the reality is this. They are out of Egypt, aren't they? And where are they? They've come through the desert. It's, I think it's called the Desert of Sin. And now they arrive back at the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on here. Isn't it incredible? One man's obedience. Moses. Who responds to God's call on his life on the burning bush. His call. You feel a bit isolated, don't you, mate? It's all right. We just want to say, we love you, mate. You're all good. You just do that. That's a prophetic statement right here. Okay? One man's obedience at the burning bush follows God and returns to that place of calling, not just on his own, but with probably 1.2 million people in tow. One man's obedience brings an entire nation Hey, I don't know how, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, does my little obedience, does it really make a difference? Well, I think as we read this stuff, we realize our little obedience steps, our risk-taking for God could actually impact a nation. You ever thought about that for a minute? It's your second birthday and people are being impacted here. But how about birthday number five? How many people would have returned with you? I mean, it's hilarious that you guys have been somewhere and you have returned. And just to say, stand up. We're going to go interactive. You can, come on. Look, stand up. See, they went and they have returned to the place of a beginning. See, I know that it's a, big, a place of beginning for you in particular, because I remember meeting you as a 16-year-old kid who was loving Jesus, who'd gone to Guatemala and come back, and God was doing stuff in your life, and now you've been away, and now you've come back home, and look around, because look who's in tow. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? The obedience of a couple has caused the returning of a whole bunch of others. We love you for that. You can sit down. The obedience of a man causes a nation to be set free. Oh, should we just stop there? Because that is a message, isn't it? That is a message and a half. So let's read. Exodus 19. Oh, I haven't put my glasses on. Let's see. Here we go. You know I'm getting on when I'm having to do this, eh? Oh, I can see it now. 19, we're going to read a few, just a few verses. It says here, In the third month after Is the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert, where? In front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God and called upon him. This is like a back to the future moment. Isn't it? They're back at the start. 
Moses is back at the start, but it's not the start. But it is the place of the start. But it's also the end of something. It's the start of something, and it's the beginning of something, but it's also the end of something. And that end of something is slavery, isn't it? These are now a set-free people. It's the end of slavery. But it's not the end either. It's also a new beginning. This is the forming of a whole new nation. So it's also a new beginning. Birthdays are both a celebration of the past and what has been, but it's also a celebration of what is about to happen and what could be. Isn't it? We celebrate because we look forward as well as looking back. And so here they are at the mountain. And it's also a, a, new, a new beginning for a whole nation. They've come full circle. Remember, this is the place where Moses met God in Exodus chapter 3. I'm, I'm sure you guys can cast your mind. I don't know who preached on it. I'm guessing you guys, you know, you, you remember that moment, the burning bush moment. It's a place where Moses has a deep, deep personal encounter with a living God. It's a place where God reveals and introduces himself to Moses. It's a place where he is commissioned to go and do something, so it becomes the place of obedience and trust. It's also the place, I believe, where Moses' life begins to make sense. You see, when we meet God, we meet ourselves as well. We meet our true selves in the sense of our true purpose for this life. Most of us don't know who we are. I know for me, when I was a 17 and a half year old kid here, in, in just living not far from here, I was frustrated. I didn't understand a whole lot of stuff. I was like, where am I going in life? Who am I? And when I had this intense, incredible experience of Jesus and my, the realization that my sin could be taken away and a whole brand new life was given to me, I realized who I was. And actually what I was made for. That's also partly Moses' story. And so let's just think about it for a minute. Moses' story. Moses was conceived and born into real danger. This man. Who, who, who God has orchestrated to now be standing in front of a burning bush. How did he get there in the first place? He's born and conceived in slavery and straight into danger, where Pharaoh has basically said, we're going to get rid of all the boys. <laughs> but it takes these two incredible women, are you ready? Shifra and Pua, unfortunate name. <laughs> Shifra and Pua. You know who they were? They were the midwives. They were the midwives. Where Moses is born and this baby is in their arms, you know, they, they, were, they were commanded to get rid of the boys. What did they do? They said, not on our watch. Are we going to do what the kings of this world are saying? Or are we going to respond with trust and obedience and honor God and save this kid? See, they risked it. Remember, obedience creates a space and opportunity for other people. They risked being obedient to God and saved a boy. And probably the reality is they probably did this with lots of boys. They saved Moses by their obedience. And then 
their obedience positioned Moses perfectly in Pharaoh's household. And so now Moses gets this unbelievable teaching, doesn't he? And he becomes a prince of Egypt and all this education. Do you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to say to Moses, Moses, you know how the pyramids were made, don't you? I don't know about you, but that's a mystery to me. I'm like, I want to know how they did that. Maybe he has the 411 on it. But here is a guy who's now been perfectly positioned, the perfect Trojan horse, in a sense. You see, none of that would have happened if it hadn't been for those midwives. You see, they're the people that often make it happen, but are rarely seen. Isn't that true? There are people in these stories where they get two lines in the play, but without their two lines, nothing would actually happen. And so right at the very beginning of the great Moses story is if these women hadn't done what they had done, the great rescue story would have been aborted. Before we even get going, it would have been over. But they risked it. You see, because this is a place of obedience and trust. Moses has returned there, but all the way through his life, there are people that have took risks and obeyed God and created a space for him. It's amazing, isn't it? Let's just think for a moment in our own lives. Who are those people that have done that for us, for me, for you? Their obedience creates space and, 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 and actually can, and has actually saved. And so this is the place where Moses, who's returned to the burning bush, the mountain where it's all begun, this is the place where he says yes. You know, he's been you know, a saved baby. He's now been a prince in the, in the household of, of Pharaoh, a son of Pharaoh. I mean, that's pretty something, isn't it? And then what does he do? He takes it into his own hands, and what does he do? He becomes a criminal on the run. He's now become, he becomes a pursued criminal and legs it out of Egypt and ends up coming to Midian. And what does he become in Midian? A shepherd, and probably a slightly frustrated one at that for the next 40 years. It's like, what is my life all about? I've been saved by these midwives. I've been positioned in power and given authority and all of this teaching and understanding and leadership skill. And now all I am is just a blinking shepherd. People can smell me before they see me because of the stink of sheep. Do you see? He's now a frustrated, who am I? What's this all about? Where is, what is the purpose of my life? I don't know how you read the Bible, but this is how I read the Bible. I put myself in it. I'm like, I'd be like that. And then when he meets God, it starts to make sense. No, I've heard my people crying. I've heard the loud shouts and the silent crying out. And now I'm sending you, Moses, to go and return. No, you've got the wrong guy. Really? Think about your history, Moses. I don't make mistakes. You were never an accident. I have perfectly positioned you, prepared you to go now and be my instrument in this great rescue plan. Listen, God's got got a plan and he's he's been at work in each and every one of us. And he doesn't doesn't, um, leave stuff out. He doesn't waste our story. And so then, 
he says yes with great risk, doesn't he? And he goes in fear and trepidation and goes back into Egypt. And then what do we see? Between chapters 4 all the way through to 14, we have a massive wrestle, almost like on a cosmic scale, isn't it? This wrestle happens where Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, no, no. <laughs> let my... You see, we could make this a musical, couldn't we? Maybe, the, yeah. Victoria, my wife's going to stop it now. Yes, you had two cups of coffee before you got here. Please be careful. I, I've been trying to get on the worship team in our church. They're not letting me. Emma, I'm auditioning. You know what I mean? There's this wrestle now for like, you know, almost 10 chapters. You know, let my people go and then no. So there's a plague and, and then it's like, let my people go and another plague and let my people go and another plague. And it's like escalating, isn't it? Every time Pharaoh says no, it's like it moves from gnats and frogs to like cattle dying. And it's just getting bigger and worse and more horrible. To the point where you think Pharaoh finally taps out when the sons die. But it's not over. So they leg it down to the Red Sea and we have that moment where, 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 where Moses then gets the rod. And I love this story. You can tell I love this story. And over the sea and, you know, opens up and the whole nation goes through. 1.2 million people, they reckon. The final nail in the coffin is when the Egyptians come crying in behind them and the waves close in on them. They are now free. Free. And they're standing in that place of obedience. And that place now of obedience becomes a place of, God, you have been unbelievably faithful. When you say you're going to do something, you really, really do. It's awesome. And so, this mountain is a place of obedience. And so, their obedience and his obedience has caused an entire nation to be set free. You know, there's more to life, isn't there, than what we just see here. Jesus has come. You know, this whole Exodus story, as you know, is a, is, a, is a, like a foretaste of what Jesus does. And Jesus comes to rescue us from ourselves and from our own brokenness and from darkness. There are hundreds and hundreds of people in Inverness and the Highlands that need to know. That need to know who Jesus is and what he's done. He has made a way, if you like. He's opened up the sea to allow people to pass through. He has defeated the enemy of sin and death. Pharaoh is, doesn't have power anymore. You see the parody, you see the parallels of the story. And there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people in Inverness and the Highlands that need to know this story. Your obedience creates space. It creates a reaching out moment. It creates becoming part of the great rescue plan. You have a part to play. The rescued become rescuers. And so let's remind, here we are. We're in a place of renewed obedience. We're in a place 
where we can give thanks for what God has done in us, but also let's look forward to what God can do through us. It's a great story, isn't it? You've got a great story. Each and every one of you. For those of us that have come to know Jesus, it is a rescue story that the world needs to hear about. So this is a place of obedience. This mountain is a place of promise. But it's also a, pla- sorry, a place of promise. Let's, it, it, it's a place of contra- contractual agreement, if you like. Verses 3 and uh, 3 through 7 says this, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Israel, and what you are to tell the people. You yourselves have seen what I have done in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you up to myself. You yourselves have seen what I've done. You've experienced the rescue. I have brought you here. You had no power in yourself to free yourselves from oppression and injustice. I have come. I have delivered you. This is where we're at. Okay? And then he says, and now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. You see, this, this mountain, this place, is a place of promise as well. It's a place of us being obedient, but it's also a place of promise. He's saying, if you obey, if you keep my covenant, if you keep my agreement, then let me tell you, you're going to be my treasure And you are also going to be a kingdom of priests. You are my treasured possessions, if you like. And just really quickly, I've spent the last month doing weddings. I've done like three weddings and a funeral. It's the cheap version of four weddings and a funeral. Boom, boom. You know, but, um, but when we're marrying people, we get the privilege, you know, of standing there. It's like, you're the best. So you're the groom today, all right? It's like, that might not be prophetic, by the way. You know, so here's the groom, you know, and he stood there and he's a little bit nervous, you know. And then they turn around don't they? and there comes the bride, you know. And nearly always it's the guys that start crying before the girls. They're like, you can see the lip. You know, this beauty is coming, and they're like, I can't believe that's for me. <laughs> I am so punching above my weight, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that's the secret to a good marriage, by the way. When you feel, you, when you think you're punching above your weight. Anyway, there's one guy. He definitely, he definitely thought that. And he stood there right in front of me, and now where I am, you know, with the Bible, and, you know, they're starting to do vows and pro- making promises. And he's like, you could just see it written over his face. Oh my gosh, I've got a great deal here. How on earth, how on earth is she choosing me? Why is she choosing me? You see, that's what's going on here. I have rescued you out. And now we're going to have an agreement. By the way, I've chosen you out of all the nations of the world. All the people groups of the world. I'm choosing you to be my special people. Not because you've done anything to deserve it. I'm just sovereignly choosing you. How amazing is that? I choose you. You know, you hear about that, the little girl that was adopted that was getting a really hard time in the playground. 
you've been adopted. It's horrible. Kids are horrible, aren't they? They're really cruel. Her comeback was this. Hey, your mom and dad got lumbered with you. They chose me. Yeah. This is the moment. God is choosing his people. You are my treasured possession. My kids are my treasured possession. Do you know, I have the privilege. You know, I get get on really well with my dad. I know what it's like to be a son who's been loved by his dad. There's a picture I have uh, on my computer, and it's of a man throwing a child up into the air. And I, and I look at that picture, and it speaks. I tell you what, it's really spoken to me, because I've been the baby. I've been the kid who's been tossed into the air by a loving dad. I've received love. I know what that's like. I've received God's love in my own life. I know what that's like. But you know what? Since I've had children, I've experienced something of what God feels for us. Because every parent has those moments when they walk into a bedroom and they see their kids lying down sleeping. Because I know all the tough dads in the room have done this. And they look at their kid. They look at and they're like, what? And, and it's, words aren't even coming out because it's actually happening in here. There's like this thing. We call it a wave in our house. It's like, oh, this is my treasured possession. This is how God feels about people. This is how God feels about you and me. And so in this moment, he's saying, I'm choosing you to be my kids, my sons and daughters. This is who you are. You didn't know who you were before. You got lost in 500 years of slavery. But let me tell you, I haven't forgotten and I'm choosing you. You're mine. That's awesome, isn't it? But not only that, he says you're going to be a kingdom of priests. He said, let me tell you who you are, and let me tell you about what you're called to. How are you going to live? You see, priests are all about making space for God's presence. That's what they did. They built spaces and temples and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because it was a place of worship. And the priests came in and did certain things. Why? To bring God's presence to the people. He's saying, no, no, no. You're my treasured possession, and I want you to be a kingdom of priests. In other words, you've got a great, you've got this VIP relationship with me now, and I want you to crack open the the doors of your own lives and invite as many people as possible to experience what you've experienced. A priest draws other people in to experience God. You know, they often like incense and do funky things but it's all a picture of lives living differently smelling of who God is and becoming an attractive soundtrack to the world that's what a kingdom of priests does they stand as a people who bridge if you like two worlds this one and the one to come And their arms are open and they're connected to God, but they're also connected to the world with an open hand going, come on in, join in, join in. At at the wedding recently, big Kaylee dance, eh? Love a good Kaylee dance. The English, they're like, I don't know what to do. You know, the English were all stood around going, 
this is a bit awkward. And the Scottish are like, yeah, come on, you know. And, but every so often a hand would get thrown out. And the English guys would be like, I want to join in, but I don't know how to. You see, it's attractive knowing God. We're called to live a priestly life that stretches out from this dance of intimacy and goodness and hope and forgiveness to say to the world, come and join this bad boy. Come and join this. It's great fun. You see, you're my treasured possession and you're a kingdom of priests. Maybe just look at one another really quickly and go, hey, you're a, you're a priest. You're a, you are part of a kingdom and you are treasured. Here's an opportunity for all the men in the room to turn to their wives and partners and go, your treasure. Your treasure, baby. Hey, it's a place of promise, isn't it? It's a place of obedience and a place of promise. And then we're just going to wrap up real quick. You know what else? It's also a place of preparation. It's a place of preparation. Verse 10 says this, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down. And so verse 14, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. Now, we don't know what he did. No commentary. I was like, How, what did he do? Did he get like big buckets of water and be like, this is like holy water moment, you know? Or I don't know. What do you do to consecrate somebody? What, 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 what is that? Consecration is a, a declaration that you are now a separated people. A people to get ready for your future. So we're not quite sure what he does. But I'm sure it's pretty dramatic. I don't know. He obviously, we think, he declares something, okay? You are God's treasure, get yourselves ready, God's going to do something amazing amongst you, prepare your hearts. And by the way, wash your clothes. He says there, and they wash their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day and no shenanigans in the bedroom as well. That's what it says. It says that. I was read that the other day. I was like, what is that? You've got to wash some clothes and you've got to abstain from sex for three days. There are people in the room right now going, that's a, that's a problem. Why does God say this stuff? It's hilarious and a bit weird isn't it? <laughs> well, let me just say, when he says consecrate yourself, like wash your clothes, let's just think for a minute. They've had three months of journeying through a desert, three months of being on the run. These guys haven't stopped. It's been tent after tent. No moment, there's, they've not had chance to do laundry, and now they can, because you could smell them before you saw them. You know, sometimes God in our preparation moments, he wants us to do something physical to remind us of what he's going to do spiritually. It's time, nation of Israel, to wash your dirty laundry. We pick up stuff, don't we, in life? 
We do things, we say things, we screw up, we, 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 we say things we don't really mean, we, we act inappropriately at times, we, an expletive pops out here, and a, we do stuff, and we hurt people, and actually that's all dirt and grime, our clothes of our lives get dirty. And he says, this is a place of preparation. Today is a day you can wash your clothes, you can wash your lives, dip them into my love and grace and forgiveness. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? If you want to be ready for the next phase of this church's life, I believe the Lord is saying this is a place of celebration. It's a place of promise. It's a place of reminding about being obedient, but it's also a place of cleansing. It's a great place where we can be forgiven, wiped clean. We can have our computers defragged. We can have our hard drives wiped. Not completely. Well, maybe, yeah, bad stuff. Do you know what I mean? We, if, this was a, if this was a chalkboard or a whiteboard or a smartboard, we could hit the, you know, we could hit clear. We could wipe that. If you're a footballer or a rugby fan, oh dear, let's not talk about that. There's, there might be a South African in the room. There is. Bless you. Bless you. The Lord said, bless you. Um, you know, if you're going to have another game, you don't want to go back out to another football match or another rugby match in filthy kit. No, we want it washed clean and ready for the next match. He's just saying the next stage, the next moment. Let's just be ready for it. Wash your clothes. Wash, allow me to wash your hearts. And the whole thing about abstaining from sex and intimacy is this. Just simply, it's about just spend three days making God number one. Make him over our desires over those things that sometimes do shape and push us and move us. It's not bad. It's just like, let's just set it aside and make him, in our house we call him, we say make him uno numo. Not numero uno. I got it wrong once. I was, in, I was preaching a student gathering of about 200 and I was like really passionate. I went, make God uno numo. <laughs> And I just carried on, and Tor afterwards was like, dude, what was uno numo? <laughs> but what I mean is this, we've got to make a numero uno. Or even when those desires, those good desires, it's a healthy thing to have intimacy. But he's saying, just, just, just suspend it for three days. And just say, over all my desires, over all my hopes and dreams, I'm going to put you and place you as number one. And so... We're in this place. It's a place of obedience. It's a place of immense, incredible promise. And it's also a place of preparation. I wonder what God has in store for Inverness Vineyard. That the rescued become rescuers. That, the, that the, those of us that didn't know who we are, you know what? You now know who you are. You've got a place, but you've got a purpose. And ongoing, we want to have clean hearts, don't we? And be available to whatever God wants from us, whatever God wants to do through us. So I am delighted I've been able to crack open this for you guys. Father, we thank you for this chosen treasure, this beautiful chosen people. We ask Holy Spirit that your hand would be so upon them for their next phase, their next phase of this journey. We thank you for every person in this room who has come to know Jesus in the last two years. 
who's come to recognize they need you. And actually life is so, so much better, so much better knowing you. We thank you that you're a faithful God with loads. These promises are trustworthy. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the obedience of Thomas and Mary. We thank you for them. We thank you that they took a risk, that they responded. And Lord, look at the fruit. We just love it. Amen.